Well, good morning again, uh, 59th Street family. We welcome those of you who are joining us a bit a little later um, as we move forward in the Lenten season, but also as we move forward in our sermon series, uh, Not by Bread Alone, where we explore how true transformation and true satisfaction can only be found in Christ alone. Now, last week we started off with the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, but today Jesus' ministry begins. Uh, but before we kind of get ahead of ourselves, I want to get some of the juices in our, uh, in our brains flowing uh, by talking about an interesting thought experiment. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching the movie Ex Machina with Kai, and in that movie, they reference a very famous thought experiment proposed by the philosopher Frank Jackson called Mary's Room. And the thought experiment goes as follows. Now, imagine there is a brilliant scientist named Mary. Now, from the time she was an infant till her adulthood, she lived in this sort of magical black and white room. Everything was black and white, from the walls to the television set. And for some e reason, even when she looked at herself, all she saw was black and white. Now, of course, again, this is a thought experiment, right? So just entertain this fantasy for a moment with me. Now, Mary, this brilliant scientist in this black and white room, she has spent her entire life learning, researching, and studying the physical properties of color. She knows the exact wavelength of the color red. She also knows and has learned through encyclopedias that the sky is blue and tomatoes are red. She understands the biology of how colors work in relation to the cones in our eyes and from, the, and from our central nervous system as well. So everything there is to know about color from a biological, chemical, physical standpoint, she knows. In fact, she is considered by the scientific community as the world's leading expert on color, despite living in a black and white room. And the question, or the thought experiment, is this. What will happen when Mary is released from her black and white room? What is Mary missing in her understanding of color? And the point that the philosopher Frank Jackson wanted to show is that no matter how much physical knowledge we have of something, it will never compare to the knowledge we gain through conscious experience. We can know all there is to know about the physical properties of the color red, but we don't actually truly know red until you see it for yourself, as you experience it for yourself. And so for Mary, as Frank Jackson might argue, there is simply a gap in her knowledge of her understanding of what color truly is. Now, when it comes to experiencing or truly knowing, not colors, but God, I think many of us end up feeling a bit like Mary. Perhaps we know all there is to know about God intellectually, but there's just that one missing thing that we can't quite put our finger on. And in this passage that we're going to read today, Jesus has a similar conversation with one of the most knowledgeable teachers of the law who has trouble understanding the truths that Jesus is about to present to him. So let's take a look at our passage today from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And as we read this, let us 
try and see if you can kind of pick up on what this teacher of the law is missing. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirits. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then, will you, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, as we look at our passage, uh, we're introduced to a certain person by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is described by John as a Pharisee, but also as a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is, interestingly, the same council who will end up condemning Jesus um, and putting him on the cross by the end of the gospel. And the reason John presents these points is to demonstrate that Nicodemus holds a lot of authority as a leader of the Jewish people and as a teacher as well. However, what sets Nicodemus apart from the rest of the ruling council is that Nicodemus is the only one within that council who actually recognizes that Jesus is sent from God. Nicodemus has enough wisdom and insight to understand this. And after Nicodemus shows knowledge and insight to know that Jesus is from above, Jesus replies back with a rather enigmatic phrase by saying, no one can see, which means no one can understand, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born anothen. If you can go to the next slide. If, yeah, unless they are born anothen. Now, in ancient Greek, anothen is a very interesting word because it actually has several meanings. It can mean above, meaning heaven. It can also mean to begin, right? Something's beginning. Or it can also mean again. And so Jesus, seeing how Nicodemus discerned that Jesus is from above, from anothen, basically Jesus is telling Nicodemus that, hey, yes, you are right. You actually cannot understand the kingdom of heaven unless you are born from above. Nicodemus, 
however, misunderstands Jesus and thought Jesus meant to say to be born again, when Jesus really meant to say to be born from above. Well, let's pause on that misunderstanding for a moment. What does it mean to be born from above? After Nicodemus misunderstands, Jesus rephrases his statement by saying that someone who is born from above is one who is born of water and the Spirit. And so let's break this down a little further. Now, in those days, there has always been a divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was, but at the same time, there was always a possibility for Gentiles to realign themselves with Jewish culture if they truly believed and if they truly trusted in Yahweh. And one way that Gentiles could realign themselves towards the Jewish faith was through baptism, through water. And the ancient understanding of baptism for the Jews was they saw it as a means of crossing social boundaries. By being baptized, you are moving yourself away from your Gentile culture, away from your Gentile community, away from your Gentile worldview, and integrating yourself into Jewish culture, into Jewish culture, Jewish community, and to Jewish worldview. And the thing is, Christian baptism works in the same way. Christian baptism is essentially moving us away from our community of culture, whether that's American, Chinese, Norwegian, or Spanish, and moving it instead into the community and into the culture of God's kingdom. Being born from above means that we drop the identities that we have been given or the identities that we have manufactured by ourselves and instead adopt a new identity from God as his people and as his children. And what's crazy, at least for me, is that Jesus is inviting Nicodemus, one of the most powerful Jewish leaders in that community, to drop his understanding of being a child of Abraham and instead see himself as more than that now. To see himself now not as just a child of Abraham, but as a child of God, as a citizen of God's kingdom. But Jesus also adds a second qualifier, right? So earlier, that's what it means to be born of water, to realign yourself into God's culture, into God's kingdom. But Jesus also adds the second qualifier as to what it means to be born again. And he says to be born again also means to be born of the Spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean, to be born of the Spirit? Well, we see in the very next verse that Jesus tells Nicodemus that, that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And the idea that Jesus presents here is this, that like begets like. And we see that all throughout nature, right? Children, they look and act like their parents. They inherit their parents' eye color, their height, or their facial features. Animals tend to produce offsprings that resemble them in various ways, whether that's their fur, their size, or shape. And even behavior is now understood as something that can possibly be genetically passed down as well. And so if this is the case, then to be born from above or to be born of the Spirit means that we as Christians take on the same characteristics as God's spirits. It's interesting, when we look at the fruit of the spirits, right, in the New Testament, when we look at those, they're not actually gifts from God. Actually, instead, they are descriptions of who God is. 
God is love. God is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so to be born of the Spirit means that there is a deep, transformative change in a person's life. Their character, their values, their worldview are completely transformed from what they once were as children of the flesh to now who they are as the children of God who inherits the quote-unquote DNA of God. And so we see that to be born above means that we no longer identify with this world, but we now identify as children and as citizens from heaven. And not only that, but how we move, how we behave, think, see, and understand the world around us shifts as well as we take on the nature of God himself through the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully, uh, we all sort of understood what I just said, because unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, it seems that Nicodemus is absolutely confused out of his mind. But why is that? Why is he confused? Well, let's take a look at that in our next sermon point, spiritual blindness. Now, in verse 12, after Jesus kind of explains certain aspects of what it means to be born from above, um, Nicodemus still doesn't understand. And so Jesus tells him, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And the point that Jesus was trying to make here is that you cannot understand spiritual truths if you are still trapped with an earthly perspective. Just like Mary, who could not truly understand the color red while she was trapped in that black and white room. And the thing is, like Mary, who is an expert on all things color, Nicodemus is recognized by many as an expert on God. He is seen as one of the prime teachers of Judaism, but Nicodemus still cannot understand Jesus' teachings on spiritual rebirth. Why is that? Because Nicodemus is limited by his earthly perspective. Nicodemus is limited by still being a citizen of the earth and a student to earthly teachings. But similarly, we too can find ourselves trapped or limited by our own worldviews and by our own perspectives that make us unable to comprehend the deeper truths of God's kingdom. Well, what are some examples? Let's take a look at American worldview. How does that prevent us from a deeper understanding of God? One of the greatest values in American culture is the idea of individualism. Um, at the start of every new year, my friends and I, we would sing a song by Frank Sinatra named I Did It My Way, one of my favorite songs of all time. Also, fun trivia for this song. It was originally a French song, um, but he bought the rights for, to that song for a dollar. Anyways, in this song, we basically hear the message of rugged individualism, uh, to face challenges of all sorts, of all kinds, to face the blows of life, but rather than turning to friends, rather than turning to loved ones, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we fight the struggles of daily lives by ourselves until the day we triumph, right? I did it my way. 
And while individualism may have some positive aspects, right, such as fostering independence, which is important, and self-sufficiency, which is also very important, it can also, at the same time, be very problematic in our Christian faith. You see, we are taught by Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves and to bear the burdens of our fellow brothers and sisters in life. But the individualistic mindset can lead us to prioritize our own needs, our own desires above others. And unfortunately, this can lead to a lack of empathy, to a lack of concern for those around us. It can cause us to view our relationship with God in individualistic terms where we see it as, what can God do for me? How can God bless me? Our individualistic mindsets can go as far as putting our own priorities above God's priorities. And so at times, just like Mary in the black and white room, or just like Nicodemus, we too can become trapped in our own little room. God's kingdom is everywhere around us, but we have trapped ourselves in our little cultural box, whatever culture that may be. And so Jesus' response to Nicodemus' confusion is a call for Nicodemus to step outside his box. And it's a call for us as well to recognize the possibility of something greater, of something more profound than our current understanding of reality, to no longer just become citizens of the kingdom here on earth, but to be born from above and be part of a larger kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. But how do we do that? How do we align ourselves? How do we actually finally be born from above where we can escape this little box that we're trapped in? And Jesus presents to us only one way. He talked about the necessity of being born from above and the challenges of understanding spiritual truths in the midst of being trapped in our own worldview and our own culture. Now Jesus presents to us the central message of the passage, but also the hope for us to finally be born from above, and that is to follow Jesus. And that is the only way to eternal life. Now, in this passage, Jesus presents to Nicodemus a powerful analogy of, a, of the snake in the wilderness to kind of make this point. Um, for those who might not be too familiar with the story, as the Israelites were kind of wandering throughout the wilderness, uh, many of them were bitten by venomous snakes as a result of their disobedience. And the only way for them to be saved was to look upon this bronze statue that God instructed Moses to create and to put up. And as these people looked up at the snake, they showed that they had faith in God, that God would heal them. And so they were healed through their faith. And Jesus, he takes that analogy and instead he applies it to himself. Jesus identifies himself as the one who is now lifted up, as the one, as the one who is the only way to eternal life. In the story of the snake in the wilderness, there is no other way for the people to be saved. There were no other cures. And so when it comes to the issue of our eternal life and the cure for the sin in our hearts, Jesus tells us that he is the only way. He is the only savior and the only healer. Some, of course, might find this claim to be offensive but we have to remember that Jesus does not make this claim out of arrogance or self-promotion. Rather, Jesus makes this claim out of love and out of a desire for all people to be saved. God does not find pleasure in watching his, 
creation go lost and astray. God finds no pleasure in people spending their entire lives to try to save themselves, only to realize at the end, at their deathbed, that they have utterly failed. God takes no pleasure in the suffering of his people. Instead, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And for us, this is a free gift of God's grace. This is not something we earn through good works or moral living, but it's rather a free gift. It is an invitation to be born again, an invitation to be born from above. So as we end this sermon today, I encourage those of you who have not accepted God into your lives to question and to wonder why. Why is it that I have not accepted God into my life? The gospel is literally a message of good news, and it's a message that allows us to step out of the box that we have been trapped in, whether that's the box of our own culture or even the prison of the sin that is in our lives. God offers us a way out of that prison to receive a new identity as his children who are born from above. And for those of you who are born from above, who do have faith in Jesus and worship him and love him, I encourage you all, too, to continue to be steadfast in your faith, to continue to develop within yourself character and perseverance, but also can encourage you guys to continue to be faithful witnesses of the good news of the gospel. Not everyone will understand or hear us. In fact, even the leading Jewish teacher did not understand Jesus. But I encourage you, nonetheless, to remain steadfast, to remain courageous, and strive for the salvation of everybody's souls. But at this moment, I invite us all, why don't we just come together uh, for a brief moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the gift of a new birth, uh, to be born from your spirits. Uh, we know that we are made in your image in Genesis, and now we are made complete through being your child in Christ, being born again from the Spirit. And so, Father, let us accept this identity. Let us truly accept this wonderful and beautiful message that we are your children who are loved deeply by you. And out of this love, let us yearn all the more for you and for your kingdom. You have tirelessly sought after us, and so now let us come seek you to seek your face. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We commit our lives into your hands. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.